You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. We are continuing in Jonah. This is our last week in the book of Jonah. And so we are going to wrap this up. Uh, I know it's Palm Sunday. There's a little bit of tie-in to Palm Sunday, but it's not a Palm Sunday-specific message. But next week will be Easter, and I'm excited to, um, for us to dig into the Easter story and what that means for us. Uh, we will be there next week, so uh, make sure you're here for that. It'll be, it'll be a good week. Um, so we get to the end of Jonah, right? This is the last chapter. He obeyed God gave a warning to the people of Nineveh, and God does not destroy them because they heed the warning. They turned from their evil ways and they believed in God. And this is something that, as someone who's read the Bible, as someone who knows what good Christians do, you would think Jonah would be really excited that God has spared this city of what we will hear is 120,000 people have been saved. But again, not the biggest Jonah fan. He's really angry about it. That's not, his attitude is not to be joyful that these people have found salvation. We're going to, let's just hop into Jonah chapter 4. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is what I made haste to flee Tarshish. For now I know that you are gracious, gracious and merciful, gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to live to die than to live. The Lord said to Jonah, the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked he might die and said, is it better for me to die than to live? It is better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And that's the end. That's the weirdest like ending to a story, right? Like you got this whole conversation and God's like, and cattle? And that's where it ends. It seems like a very big cliffhanger, but this is all that we know about the story of Jonah. This is all we got, is these four chapters. So Jonah's obedience results in the salvation of 120,000 people. 
We had a question on Wednesday about what does it mean to not know the right hand from the left, and that's God simply explaining how lost the people of Nineveh were. That he's saying they're so lost, they don't, they don't know good from evil, they don't know their right hand from their left hand. These people are so completely lost, and they were saved. And I want us to be careful as believers to not fall into the same traps that Jonah did. So I want to look at three things that we can take away from the end of this story and also kind of looking back on the whole of Jonah. And that is a caution against selfishness, a caution against bitterness, and a call to joy. These are three things we're going to look at today that we see in this story that can help us not become like Jonah. First thing we see is the incredible selfishness of Jonah. Jonah is considered by some people, the book, is considered to be one of the most well-written books of the Bible. And it is a beautifully written book. There's a lot of cool things, uh, literary, literary, literarily, I don't think that's a word. Probably not literarily, it's not. Um, But there's a lot of cool literary devices used in the book of Jonah, and it's really, really beautiful and well-written. And one of the things uh, that we see here is that One, you see here, uh, you hear the word appoint a couple of times. He appoints the plant to grow. He appoints the worm to eat the plant. He appoints a scorching wind and the sun to beat down. And earlier, he appoints the fish to eat Jonah. So that word is used a couple of times very, very specifically. Um, Then also, as we just read, the word exceedingly is used two times in this chapter. The first one is that he was displeased exceedingly. That word there that's used for uh, displeased can also be evil. So to him, it was exceedingly evil that the people were saved. Or it can mean that he was grieved. I think that one is is, is probably the most accurate. He was exceedingly grieved that the people had been saved. That same word, exceedingly, is used for how glad he is that the plant gave him shade. So he was just as happy about the plant giving him shade as he was angry that God saved the people of Nineveh. That word exceedingly there. And I think this shows the selfishness of Jonah, is that he was as angry about the salvation of the people as he was happy about his own comfort. This is a caution to us against selfishness. Again, he is exceedingly grieved by the fact that 120,000 people were not destroyed and the same amount of happy that he got the shade. Not only is he happy, as happy about the shade as he would about their salvation, but so much was he selfish that he went outside of the town and sets up a booth, which is just a word for like a temporary shelter. He sets up a temporary shelter because he thinks God still made destroyed Nineveh and he wants to watch it happen. This is how selfish Jonah was. We should not be so selfish that we want our version of justice over the salvation of the lost. 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For the kings and all who are high in positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
God wants everyone. God wants everyone. And for us to think that there are some people who deserve justice more than they deserve salvation is selfish. We have to view everyone as deserving of God's salvation. And again, I don't, I don't mean that we've earned God's salvation, but I mean they're no less deserving than you are of God's salvation. And Jonah was more concerned about his own comfort than he was the salvation of an entire city. This is the trap of selfishness, that we focus on the salvation of others because we're too concerned, sorry, that we lose focus on the salvation of others because we are too concerned about ourselves. We lose focus on the salvation of others because we're too concerned about our own comfort. When the plant that God caused to sprout up is taken away by God, Jonah says, it would be better that I would die. Does that sound like us and our comfort? Right? That there are people in the world who have to walk over a mile to get clean drinking water. But if our internet goes down, we have no idea what we're going to do. It, that is the worst thing that could happen to us is, what am I going to do? My internet's down. Can't work, can't listen to music, can't watch TV. I just have to sit here. It would be better that I would die. Right? Like our, our comfort has become so much a part of us. I'll, I'll tell on myself a little bit here. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were going, we were getting lunch on Sunday, so we were going to Popeye's, because that's the best chicken sandwich you can get on a Sunday. Um, and so we're going to Popeye's, and I'm sitting in the drive-thru, and I'm not kidding, I'm there for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, and I saw a guy park and go inside, and then later come out with this food, and I was like, I haven't even moved. I'm just going to park, and I'll go inside. So I park, I go inside, and I stand at the counter for like, again, what felt like five minutes. Nobody, nobody comes to talk to me. And I'm like, okay, well, this is the worst. Not only that, but when he finally comes up and he asks, I said, okay, so I want one chicken sandwich with, and he says, we're out of chicken sandwiches. <laughs> I don't even think I said anything. I just walked out, and I, and I hit that door like a defensive lineman trying to get to the quarterback. I walked up to that door, and I went, bah, and I was like, I'm out of here, and that was the worst thing that happened to me. Ruined my day, right? I was like, well, now I got to go see if Bojangles has chicken. Like, this is, what am I going to do now? I was so distraught that I couldn't get my chicken sandwich, Right? We get so concerned that the things that, I mean, let's be honest, I probably could go without a chicken sandwich. I'm, nobody will notice if I miss a meal, right? Like, I won't disappear. But we get so wrapped up in that, and we lose sight of what is actually a big deal. That shouldn't have been a big deal to me, right? The fact that there are people in our city who are dying and going to hell, and I was so angry I busted through a door because I didn't get a chicken sandwich. I still was going to eat, right? Like, it's not like I wasn't going to eat that day, but I was so concerned in that moment that I, was, I had lost sight of what was actually important. Paul in Philippians, he says, consider others more important than yourselves, you can tell a lot about the character of a person by how they act when someone takes their parking spot. 
If someone takes your parking spot and you get angry or you pull up behind them or you, you know, give them a, a finger, the thumb, you know, and if that's your reaction, you struggle with selfishness. If your reaction is, oh, man, well, they're just probably in a rush and they probably needed it more than I did and it's not that big a deal, you're for sure a better person than I am. But if you're a person who tells a lot about our character when we, someone takes the parking spot that we've been waiting on and kind of blinker on and somebody, zoop, that tells a lot about how selfish you are. And I think what I realized is this is why I don't like Jonah is because he's me. There's so much of my flesh that is so incredibly self-focused that when I read the story of Jonah, I think I see myself and I just get so angry because it's the part of myself that I hate. Like, man, I hate how selfish I am. I hate that I get that upset about not getting a Popeye's chicken sandwich that I lose my cool that I totally lose focus of what is actually important. And I see myself in Jonah, and I think that's why I can't stand him. It's because it's the part of me that I can't stand. I think when I look at it, it's like I would do everything Jonah did. If I'm not in the Lord, if I'm walking on my own, if I am not in step with God, I would do exactly the same things Jonah did because of my selfishness. If I'm not really careful, if I don't caution against selfishness, I am Jonah. I will run in the opposite way to not be uncomfortable. I'll get thrown off a boat in my stubbornness. I'll complain when something happens the way I don't want it to. I love God's response when Jonah is more concerned about the plant that only existed for a day than he was 120,000 people. And this is why the book ends the way it does, is because this is God's response, is that God is like, well, if you won't be concerned for the 120,000 people, how about the cattle? He's like, you're not concerned. You were concerned about a plant, so maybe not the people, maybe cows, you know? Maybe that, maybe you'll be happy that the cows are saved, Jonah. And that's why the book ends that way, is it is ending with a point on his stubbornness, his selfishness, his, maybe the cows, will you be okay with the cows being saved, Jonah? And that's where the story ends. That's what's crazy to me, is it just stops there. Jonah doesn't say, you know, God, you're right. I should have more of a heart for these people. I'm going to go back in and love on the people of Nineveh, because they need to know who you are, and I can teach them. No. Where we're left is a selfish man who is more concerned with the death of a plant because it was providing him comfort than he was the salvation of 120,000 people. Don't let that be how your story ends. Does this, not sound, this does not sound like someone who has experienced the love of God. It sounds like a very bitter person. That's the second thing, is a caution against bitterness. Jonah's heart was so bitter that it made him resent all the little things. It's almost as if he was looking for something to be upset about. Do you know people like this? 
Do you know people who, it's like, man, it's like you're just looking for something to be angry about. The smallest little thing can ruin their entire day, like Popeye's being out of chicken sandwiches. Or one wrong word that you say, and they won't speak to you for a month. But does this sound like someone who knows the character, who is showing the character of God? God asks Jonah, I love this question, he says, do you do well to be angry? He asks him twice in this passage. Do you do well to be angry? Are you, are you okay because you're angry? Is that what you want? You, you want to be angry? Maybe that's a question we should ask sometimes. Is, am, I, am I doing well to be angry about this? And bitterness isn't just something that people wake up and decide to be, right? It's not like you just wake up and go, you know what? I'm going to be bitter today. It's something that creeps in. Maybe the pain you experience, you stuff it down. Maybe you ignore it because Christians aren't supposed to feel bad. Maybe you think, I'll handle it on my own, and then we don't actually take care of it. And all of a sudden, instead of giving that pain to God, we have become bitter. I'm sure you can think of someone who calls themselves a Christian, and you don't want to be around them because of how bitter they are all the time. We have to guard our hearts and our minds and recognize when that bitterness is creeping in. Because if we're bitter towards others, what does that show them? What is that showing other people if we are living bitter lives? Does that communicate that we serve a loving God who brings us hope and joy and peace? If we're bitter at the situation of life we're in, what does that say about our ability to trust God? Can we be bitter and thankful? No. Bitterness is a result of a life not focused on God. It's focused on self more than God. And the people who we are called to love, we're not focused on them. Watch out for bitterness. Paul in Ephesians 4, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love that word tender-hearted. I love it. I think it is such a great description of what we should look like as believers. And it's the exact opposite of what the world is going to tell you you need to be. People who are tender-hearted don't lash out. People who are tender-hearted don't get into arguments on social media. They don't care about people who are tenderhearted. They care about other people. They show kindness. We should be more empathetic to the hurts and pains of others than trying to inflict pain based on our opinions. When we think of how Jesus lived on this earth, he was not cynical. He was not jaded. He was tenderhearted. This week being Palm Sunday, I can't help but think of what I really saw this, this was really illuminated to me last year during our, uh, we did a daily devotion on Facebook the week before Easter, leading up to Easter. And after Palm Sunday, Jesus is, is, is just coming into, hasn't entered into the city yet when Palm Sunday happens, when the people are shouting Hosanna, laying down palm branches, laying down their clothes to let his donkey not walk through the mud. He gets through that and he gets to where he can see the city of Jerusalem and he is distraught. 
says he weeps because of their lostness. He weeps because they don't get it. They're not going to get it. They don't understand what's about to come, that salvation is coming to them. And you think about the contrast between Jesus looking at Jerusalem and he is brokenhearted and Jonah looking at Nineveh and he is brokenhearted because they did get it. Which person should we be? Should we be the person who says, man, I can't believe God saved that person. They really deserved worse. Or should we be people who say, I am so broken because people don't get it. And I desperately want people to get it. So as we sit here on Palm Sunday, thinking about Jesus and his mindset towards the lost versus Jonah and his mindset towards the lost who found God, we have to remember that a life of bitterness is not going to lead us to the point where Jesus was. And I think it's easy for us to say that, well, you don't understand. Like, I'm bitter because of what I've been through. That's not true of Jesus. Jesus lived every day knowing what was coming. Jesus knew what was coming. He walked the streets and healed people and loved people knowing he would have to bear their sin on the cross. Every single day. He saw the sins of the people and knew that they were coming for him. That is a life that we cannot compare to. It's far worse than we can think. So when we say, well, I'm bitter because of what I've been through and you don't understand, we serve a God who does understand. Amen? He gets it. He's been in a worse place. He is a God who understands. We have to watch out for bitterness in our life. And the last thing that we see from the story of Jonah is kind of the flip side of all of it. As I didn't just want to have this message be like, all right, don't be selfish, don't be bitter, have a good day, right? Like that's really discouraging and it's like, okay, well, what do I do? And I think it's because we have a call to joy. You cannot be joyful and selfish, you, cannot, you definitely cannot be joyful and bitter, right? Those two things, that, it doesn't work. So if we are experiencing joy that comes from the Lord, there is no room for selfishness and bitterness to coexist with that joy. And I don't say this again to pressure you into feel more joy, right? Like that's not how it works. You can't just like work really hard and push joy out. Like it's not, it's not how it goes, Joy is something that is from the Lord. Psalm chapter 30 says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. As we approach Easter next week, this verse should remind us of what he has done. That he has taken the sadness, everything we could be bitter about, he has redeemed, he has overcome, he has triumphed, whatever it is, and that should cause us dancing. It should cause us gladness. It should cause us to sing his praise and give him thanks. 
I love this verse in Romans 14. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is Paul addressing an issue about people like, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? And he's like, look, it's not about what you eat and drink. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What an encouragement. That it's not about what you need to do. It's about what you can experience. It's about choosing to live in this righteousness and peace and joy with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says he must increase and I must decrease. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to have more of us, the joy will come. The harder we try to hold on to things ourselves and control our own lives, the further away joy will get. Jonah tried to do things his own way. And they didn't work out well. He was miserable when things didn't go his way because he was trying to do them himself. himself. When we look at the story of Jonah, if we focus on Jonah, it's incredibly sad. His story ends with God asking if he would care more about the cows because he didn't care about the people. But when we focus on the story of Jonah, when we focus on God, it is a beautiful story about a loving God who passionately and powerfully pursues us. His will is unstoppable even when we don't like what he's doing. It is what is best. And that should bring us to joy, knowing how good our God is. Don't let your story end like Jonah's. Don't let the end of your story come to a point of bitterness and a self-centered life. Let the Lord rule in your hearts, which will give you joy and a love for people. Have the Lord's heart for people. Don't fight against his will, but move in unison with it, impacting the world with the gospel, seeking obedience over comfort. Not just out of duty, but out of an understanding of how incredible our God is. Seeing the unrelenting and unbelievable love he has for us. Amen? Let's pray. God, let us have caution when we look at the story of Jonah. Let us see it as a cautionary tale of what happens when we try to do things on our own, when we try to rebel against your will, when we live too self-focused, that we we would become bitter people. God, let us look at the story of Jonah in light of who you are in it. Because that will cause us to be people who know that your love is so powerful and unstoppable. God, let us be people who live with joy. Let us surrender ourselves. Let us not live according to our flesh, but live in step with your Holy Spirit. Giving things up in obedience, giving you the things that we worry about and trusting you that would lead us to a life of joy.
especially this week as we approach Easter. Let the joy of Easter be on our faces as people see us. As we interact with people, let us be just so overwhelmed with the pursuit that you have of us that we saw in the story of Jonah that leads to Easter Sunday. That salvation is here. Let us be excited for it. It's in your name we pray, amen.